Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Manscaped, our new major sponsors on the Rugby League Guru podcast, have just launched in Australia. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job. You can be one of the first to experience their life-changing products here in Australia. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code GURU20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code GURU20. Send me a message on the Instagram page or hit the link in the podcast description. Let's get those Rubik's Cubes sorted, fellas. Let's kick off the podcast. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Today I'm lucky enough to be joined by a champion bloke, Jake Marketo. Jake played, you know, 50-odd first-grade game for his St. George Illawarra Dragons. He's a Wollongong-born and bred boy. He moved up the coast when he was younger, and then eventually he was signed by the Dragons. And, you know, it was a childhood dream of his to pull on the Red V. You know, they say loyalty is dead in Rugby League, but Jake, you know, he was a Dragon through and through, and for him to be able to pull on that jersey, it was massive for him. He made his debut in 2010, obviously handed his first grade, his first first grade jersey by, the, you know, the super coach Wayne Bennett in 2010. Obviously, they go on to win the premiership that year, so, you know, it's really interesting hearing the experiences of a young kid who's on the bottom of that squad, watching them go through that final series. You will remember, you know, they were they were, um, they were called the chokers for those two years, and then for them to finally get that job done, incredible stuff. He talks about the party on Mad Monday, coming back in 2011, and really starting to establish himself over those next two years. And the reality is, and this is what I love about Jake, he's raw and he's honest, yeah? And he's no stranger to getting in Barney Rubble. He had a few misdemeanors in him, and of course... 2012, the Dragons, they give him the sack. And the way that he finds out, it's quite a roar and it's a sad story, yeah. And these are the sort of stories you just don't hear in rugby league. You hear about the superstars that leave, but you wouldn't hear about a Jake Marketo that he found out over over a coffee after Mad Monday that he wasn't needed anymore. Just heartbreaking stuff. You know, he had to move up to Queensland. He was playing cup footy up there for peanuts. He was working in a factory. Reaches out to Paul McGregor and begs for another opportunity. This is the loyalty I talk about that he was a Dragon through and through. And Mary, 
Thankfully, he threw him another lifeline. It's a fantastic chat with Jake Marchetto. He's a champion bloke. He's really been a real, one of those real locker room guys over the years. So he's got a really close relationship with Trent Marin, who's you know one of the funniest bastards getting around in the NRL. A few cracking stories with him. Guys like Ben Cray, Ben Hornby, Dean Young, all of his really good mates. This is only part one of the interview. We've got part two dropping next week. These are the interviews that I'm starting to enjoy more than anything. The guys that weren't at the top of the NRL game, they weren't the superstars. They're the guys that, you know, they're just battling through clubs, but they have the most honest and the most raw experiences in rugby league. Jake is an absolute champion. He's playing up there in the Queensland Cup at the moment. He's got a heap of stories to tell. I really enjoyed with this chat with him. Let's kick it off. Rain chips over the top. What a take. Jake Marchetto claims the Dragons try. Jake, welcome on, brother. How are we? Yeah, I'm going well. How are you? Not too bad, mate. I see you out on the golf course today. How are you traveling? Terrible. Lower back's a bit tight today, so I'll uh, get on the roller later. I can't hit him too well, so I probably won't be doing that again for a while. You're getting old, my friend. Yeah, apparently that's what they say. So, um, yeah, I've got to make sure I have a stretch probably next time I go. Where are we uh, Where are we living at the moment? I'm up in Townsville, mate. It's um, it's nice up here. Just miss jumping in the ocean. Otherwise, you know, otherwise I'd... um. You know, you get, if you go out in the water, you get all this stung or eaten by something, so I sort of can't be doing that up here. But other than that, mate, it's beautiful. Obviously, you're playing for the Blackhawks up there. How's that season all gone this year? Have you played any footy? What's the go? Yeah, so what happened was we um, we played round one against Ipswich down in Ipswich, and we, we got away to a good start and got a win down there, which is pretty hard to do at the start of the year. So um, we played round one, mate, and then the, the Monday, two days after, the QRL can the season, which was pretty disappointing because it happened you know, in the space of 48 hours when... We were sort of all hoping, you know, we'd probably take a five, six-week rest like the NRL did and then try and kick-start it again. But it, it wasn't meant to be. And we had a, you know, we had another pretty fair team up here again this year. So it would have been interesting, but it wasn't meant to be. Mate, you mentioned the um, Ipswich team then. Are they still throwing the pill around like crazy or what? Yeah, they, they still got a little bit, bit of that in them, but they, they were actually quite strong defensively. You know, they, they worked together really well. In the, you know, obviously in the game, we, we only played them in one game, but... um. That was probably their, uh, not their strong suit. Their attacking was the was the thing that get everyone. So to see him defend really well was um, was quite surprising. But it was a good game for you to be a part of. Mate, take me back to the start of your life. You know, obviously you're a Wollongong boy, beautiful part of the world down there. Tell me about your life growing up. Yeah, mate, it was pretty cool. I was born in Wollongong. Um, grew up down there till I was about six or seven. Then um, my family, my mum and dad, who were together at the time, and my brothers, we moved up to Sydney up to Ride. So. Um, I played a lot of junior footy at Holy Cross Rhinos there, which is you know, a well-known school and rugby league sort of area. So I was there till about uh, under 12s. And then my parents split up and I moved up to the Sunshine Coast with my brothers and my mum. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get uh, signed by the Dragons when I was 16 on one of those junior contracts. And then ended up moving back down to Wollongong. And um, uh, when I was 17, obviously going through the junior ranks through SG Ball and all that. And you know, obviously got to uh, wear the Red V a little bit later on. What uh what position were you playing as a young bloke? Uh, when I was a young bloke, I was a, I was a five eighth. Um, I was a six. So I was a bit tall, tall and lanky, and had a little bit of pace. But that sort of fell away, and the pace did anyway. And then um yeah, the couple of blokes, you know, coaches over the years thought I was you know a half decent tackler. So I ended up making my way uh, onto the into the middle at the lock, and then I, I sort of just fell to the to the left hand side in the left back row, and that's probably my favourite position. But uh, I wasn't probably the most you know, big and robust player to be able to play in the NRL. So I sort of took up that uh, utility role whenever I um, got a chance to play first grade. And, you know, if there was an injury, I was sort of, you know, for a couple of years there, the first cab off the rank, which was pretty cool to to be a part of. Mate, the modelling career could have still been going if you would have stayed at six just quietly. 
Yeah, I know. I've, uh, uh, that was something I was trying to look down the path of going, but uh, yeah, it didn't, didn't, didn't happen. Mate, obviously you moved back down to Wollongong. You play in the SG Ball. I believe you played in 2007 there, yeah? Yeah, 2007 SG Ball. There was um, We had a pretty good team, actually. I think we finished second during the regular season. We made it to the prelims and we, we got done by Canberra. And I think, I'm pretty sure Joshy Dugan played for him that year. So um, we got done in the last three seconds. They put a grubber in and scored in the corner. There was no uh, video reference and all that. And, you know, we were screaming that he was out. But the, the ref gave it. He was about 30 metres away. So I think they slipped him some money before the game. Mate, I imagine an 18-year-old Josh Dugan would have been a fucking handful. Yeah, from from memory, I'm pretty sure he did play. But yeah, he um, I could only imagine, mate. He's he's a freak of a player, and he would have been a you know a sight to see coming through the juniors. How many years of ball did you play? Just the one, mate. Just the one in '07. Then obviously '20s come into um into play in '08, and that's sort of where all the you know the junior blokes um, in all the teams, obviously across the NRL, went into. Mate, at under twenty training, did they do any uh, tackling back then, or what? I felt like all the scores every week were forty all. Yeah, that was that was sort of how it was, wasn't it? Um, we I know at the Dragons that we had Steve Price at the time. He was pretty big on defense, and that was one of our strong suits. I'm pretty sure we were one of the you know the two years I got to play anyway. At least we, we were pretty strong defensively, and we had a, we had a lot of flair and attack too. So I think our for and against weren't weren't too bad, and we you know we finished you know halfway and then up from from the ladder. So um yeah, but there was some uh, t- very high high scores. Mate, I imagine being 18, 19, and flying all over the country to play footy. It must have been a thrill. <laughs> It was pretty cool. Uh, from where you know, it, it just comes part of it. But I, I remember the first flight. You know, you go down to Melbourne. I hadn't been to Melbourne before that, so that was pretty cool. And obviously, you get to go over to um, New Zealand as well. And um, the uh, the second year in twenties, um, we we had a little trip up to Townsville, which was pretty cool, and um, got to go out to the Mag and all that sort of stuff. So it was um, pretty cool being able to fly around at that sort of age. Yeah, mate. Obviously, you're used to it now, but I'm sure when you were 19 and an away trip to Townsville would have been a thrill. Oh, mate, I was a pest just hanging around the, you know, the older blokes trying to hang out with them and have a beer with them and um, obviously, you know, just trying to trying to fit in. Mate, I spoke to Brett Finch the other day and he was saying that whenever you'd go up to Townsville, it'd be, you know, unfortunately, there'd be a, a game of footy in the way of you going out on Saturday night. It was just a pain in the ass playing. Yeah, well, it's 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 a, it's a fun town, man. Yeah, obviously living up here now, it's got some um got some fun things to do. I could only imagine what it would been like for Finchie and the Roosters back in the day. Mate, you mentioned your coach there, Steve Price. Now, obviously, he's a guy that you know he's polarized opinions a lot. You know, his time in first grade, and for me, I sort of felt like he was treated a little bit unfairly. Can you tell us more about Pricey? Yeah, mate, I, I was pretty fortunate, you know, after SG Ball Price, he was the coach of the, the Premier League team and, um, you know, he took a liking to me, which I was, you know, pretty fortunate to have and I got, I was allowed to go up and train with Premier League during the weeks, but I think that was just to keep me fit and not get fat, so that was probably the, the little hidden agenda there, but I was also be able to, you know, be a part of some of the first grade um, captains run and obviously get to watch them and all that sort of stuff and I was in awe of those sort of blokes at, you know, that age of my life, so I, um, I was pretty thankful Pricey was there and then obviously going into 20s with him with 18 and um, in, um, uh, sorry no wait and 09 and then in um, 2010 he was obviously the assistant coach with Wayne so I was pretty fortunate to have uh, Pricey you know sort of looking after me through there and you know he, he did get his uh, in my opinion he did get his name dragged through the mud a little bit when all that stuff happened and oh, oh, it's good to see him going well over in England Mate, obviously, 2009 rolls around. You're put into the first grade strong for the Dragons. You know, how, how did you first find out you were going to be in that squad? Um, I'm pretty sure it was part of the deal. And 
Uh, so at the time, you, you, when you signed your 20s contract, I was fortunate enough to be signed for 08, 09 and 2010. So I think part of my deal in 09 was to be up full-time with the Dragons from what from what I can remember because obviously I was in there doing the pre-season and all that sort of stuff. So that was just sort of part of the deal. And, mate, as I, um, I was talking to you about before, I was just in awe of going into training. Now you got the likes of... Dean Young, Big Craig, Cooper, Gaznia, um, Brett Morris, Nightingale, Soward, Hornby, you know, the, the names go on, mate. And obviously Wayne there in the helm, it, it was um it was it was surreal for myself and all the younger boys that were in there. Mate, obviously two thousand and nine, as you mentioned then, Wayne Bennett he enters the building. Do you remember your first uh interaction with with Wayne? I imagine it must have been pretty daunting for you. Yeah, um we were sitting upstairs and it, it was interesting. We obviously I think 07, I was just sort of there because I was a part of the squad and Wayne, you know, the, all the older boys were, they sort of had a meeting about what had happened the last couple of years and Wayne sort of wanted to nip a lot of things in the bud and after the, you know, the older boys said their piece and they worked out what they wanted to do for that year and set their goals, Wayne, you know, went around and shook everyone's hand and I remember, you know, saying hello to him and I was, mate, I couldn't even, I was struggling to get the words out, it was pretty cool. Mate, obviously that squad, you know, they'd they'd gone for the last four or five years having a you know a really, you know, top shelf squad there. I mean, I remember o five and o six they got really close. They'd sort of already started to get the sort of chokers tag about them. H- how did that group of players carry themselves? Um, I probably didn't understand that. Obviously, I watched that game when they got done by the Tigers, and I remember seeing. Um you know, all those players that obviously um, later on got to meet, they were rattled, mate. And I, I, I can remember a little bit that sort of got, you know, brung up that they they really wanted to achieve that goal that they got to do in 2010. And, you know, it was those sort of, you know, as a young person, I, I, I was um, at training and just seeing the way that these blokes trained and looked after themselves. I, I didn't, you know, didn't know what to do. Like, you know, they, they um the way that they, like, handled themselves and the training sessions were so intense and be able to there to sort of watch and, how they went about their business, mate, it was unreal to, to be a part of and obviously watch. And um, it was it was a real good time to be, you know, a Dragons player. Mate, you mentioned that uh, 2005 season. I mean, we all remember the Tigers and the Cowboys grand final. But, you know, in reality, the two best teams by far and away were the Eels and the Dragons that year. Those teams, they're sort of forgotten in history, aren't they? Yeah, that, that 05 team um, the, that the Dragons had was, uh, from memory, I remember I watched something on YouTube the other day about it and, um, they, they, everyone had given them the tag to win the comp because of just the form they had been playing in, and you know, obviously the likes. I think Gaz and Coops were, you know, untouchable. I know Gaz was anyway at that time. He was he was wreaking havoc in Origin and for Australia. So they were given the um, and obviously that Trent Barrett there as well, Jason Rolls, Luke Bailey. They had a whole heap of rep players, and um, you know, the Tigers just got the wood on them that night. Mate, obviously 2009, you're, you're in the squad that season and the team, you know, I, I think you take out the minor premiership or you're right up there, you come into finals and fucking Jared Hayne hits them like a train and then they, I, I, I think they went out in straight sets, didn't they? Yeah, they did. I remember I was at that game of Cobb was sitting there watching and that run he done to score that try. People still talk about that today. It was de- He's still de- beating people. Today. Mate, it was <laughs> exactly, well, I think it was nine by the end of it. You beat the ref as well. So it was... um. Yeah, uh, Jared Hayne, you um, took took the uh, finals over by storm, and you know th- I think that was a big learning curve for the for the boys in that in that team at that time because you know what happened in two thousand and ten, um, they they got to uh, live their dream. Do you remember the feeling in the change room after they uh, they got knocked out in two thousand and nine? I didn't go in. I um I just sort of um uh, sort of left because it's not it wasn't probably you know I was just a young bloke, mate. I was I was sort of just going in there and. 
at that time, I thought I was just a number there. So I just, um, you know, I, I let it be. And it, it was nothing I could do anyway. So I'd imagine I would have just been, you know, walking around and, you know, staring at the players and seeing all the emotions on their face. So I remember I didn't go into uh, the sheds no night. Mate, the 2010 preseason rolls around, and by this point, the chokers tag, you know, it is being thrown around daily about St. George Illawarra. You couldn't read about them without the word choker being in that sentence. You know, was the club well aware of that? You know, was it something that the players resented? Did it mean anything to them? Um, From memory, just um, from sort of meetings and that, I I don't think – I think it just added a lot of fuel to the fire. I think that sort of – Wayne, and he still does it to this day, that's why I reckon it's going to be – interesting to watch the origin series it's sort of he, he created a mentality of it's us versus everyone sort of thing and um i think uh, as you see a lot of the players really bought into that because i didn't think they were chokers but everybody was saying it and you know it, as i said before it added fuel to the fire for them to be successful and you know they ended up achieving it which was which is outstanding for the club and all those players that got to be involved in that tell me about your first grade debut in 2010 where were you when you first found out um, so there was a there was a thousand people in the rep, in the origin thing. So I think it was only dead set nineteen players at training. And we um we, I was fortunate enough. Fuck, you'd be filthy if you didn't get a go. Oh, exactly. I probably would have just walked off. You know, it wasn't my time. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Kyle Stanley and um Khalifa, we all got to um we all got to debut together. It was at Wynn Stadium, which is you know I'm from Wollongong, so that was that was pretty special and we, we played Canberra we got done that day but um you know just to be able to run out the tunnel and my first first grade jersey was um you know it was pretty cool Kyle Stanley have the unluckiest career of all time or what to see the things that he had to go through and you know to to for, that's for a young boy mate like he wasn't even a man yet the poor bastard he was 18 19 years old you know what I mean and just to see see what he went through and then still come back and then have to go back again. And, you know, even Chase went through some hard times as well in his career. And, you know, Cole, um, Cole obviously is going really, really well now. And, you know, it's always good to have a chat to him on Instagram. He'll write something, you know, Gene, myself or, or Mez up. So he, he was he was cheeky, but um, he, he um, went through a lot, Cole, and it's good to see him going well now. Tell me about your first grade debut, mate. What do you remember? Um, I was pretty fortunate, mate. I got, I got a good good chunk of minutes and he got about over 50 minutes and I think I played more in the middle and a bit of a hooker role obviously um you know I'm not the biggest bloke in the world so I, at that time I was sort of doing a lot of passing from from hooker with um extras with Dino and all that sort of stuff and uh just I think I yeah got end up getting in the middle and a bit of dummy half towards the end of the game but as I said mate to be able to run the tunnel was just in awe of being a part of the part of the NRL that time Mate, you just mentioned Dean Young, obviously a club legend. You know, he, he was a critical piece of that premiership winning side and his son, sorry, his father, Craig, you know, an even bigger part part of the St. George Illawarra Dragons. Tell me about Dino. Mate, he's a champion bloke. Um, you know, he sort of, him and a lot of other blokes that were there at the time, Dan Hunt, uh, Brett Morris, they, you know, I was sort of, uh, Benny Crow as well. They, you know, I was pretty fortunate that those sort of blokes, have, you know, showed me the way and, you know, try and, try and help me where they could. And, you know, it was, it was, it was so surreal to have those blokes to be able to lend your hand and tell you to pull your head in when you had to pull your head in. And, you know, to be able to, the best thing to be able to make was you get in tight, you'd be able to train with them and, you know, have a beer in that with him, so that that was um was outstanding, and obviously, Dino's coming up to the Cowboys next year, so it's a good new challenge for him, which I'm pretty sure he's looking forward to as well. Mate, you mentioned Dean. Obviously, was the guy that tell you to uh, pull your head in when it needed to be pulled in. I imagine he would have uh, had a few words to you and your best mate Trent Merrin at times. Yeah, there was there was times where more, not more so me, not not Mez. Mez was <laughs> Mez was a bit more well behaved than I was, but yeah, there was um there was times where we'd come in and you know have to. 
tell Goose of the Week stories, which the the boys all love. Wayne liked them as well, so that was a that was pretty cool. Some some funny stories got tossed around when we were younger, and we, sometimes we just make things up because we'd rock into training, and then, you know the older boys would come over and go, "Oh, so and so's got a story about you." And I'm like, "Well, I didn't do anything," and they're like, "Well, you better make one up." So we just start making stories <laughs> up, and it was either myself, uh, Dan Hunt, or Trent Marin who'd had that, who'd have that pink shirt on for the week. So it was it was good times before training. Tell me about Trent Merrin, mate. Obviously, you know, he's bounced around a few clubs now. He's gone over to England. He's returned to the Dragons. But everywhere he goes, he just seems to be one of those real locker room guys. And, you know, just from talking to you, I can already tell you're a champion bloke and be best mates with him. It, it, it says a lot about the both of you. Yeah, mate. Well, the funny thing is, Mez and I hated each other when we first met. So, SG Ball, <laughs> Mez was a very, very, very extremely solid uh solid 18 year old and uh he had a uh, bleach blonde hair which covered his eyes so he looked like a goose and um anyway the first time i met him at s3 ball training you know i just sort of looked at him and i was like who's this bloke and they're like oh he's he's our front row and i thought jesus we've got no go forward this year and then you know he thought i was a halfback because i was obviously really really skinny and so we, we sort of didn't see eye to eye till probably the we went into 20s with each other then you know mate, we've been inseparable and fortunate enough to be able to play footy with each other for, for a good amount of time and we've always remained mates you know he's he's gone through some hard times in his life and also in his career and so have I and we've always had each other's back and I'll have his back till you know till, till our time's up Hit me with your best uh, Trent Merrin story um, I've got one this this involved us going fishing so we um, Mez, Mez told me he grew up on boats his whole life but funnily enough Mez grew up in Matraville so I don't know how that works <laughs> seeing as that that's in the middle of Sydney but anyway he uh, so he bought a boat once he started you know getting a bit of coin and one day him, him myself and Josh Miller who was at the Dragons for a couple of years we went out fishing so I've reversed Mez's uh, boat into the water and he's pushed it out and he's, uh, he's got all his clothes on right and he's, he's in his boat and so he goes, go park my car. So I went up and parked his car at the top, and I come back and he's like, he's in his DTs and soaking wet. And I go, what are you doing? He goes, oh no, nothing. I go, what do you mean? You were fully clothed two minutes ago. He goes, no, no, nothing. And I'm like, mate, what's going on? And he goes, I forgot to put the plug in the boat. It started sinking. So in the middle of the dock, he's plugging the boat, and it started filling up with water. So he had to jump out, otherwise his boat would have sunk. So that was the start of the day. Anyway, so Joshy Miller coming. It was his missus' birthday by memory um, that night. So he had dinner. So we were only going to go out for a couple of hours. So we're sitting there fishing, and um, Mez is playing the music while the while the um, boat stopped. And I'm like, that that'll chew the battery out, mate. He's like, no, no, it's all right. It's, it's a big battery. And I'm like, well, that doesn't. I don't think that works, mate. But anyway, he kept doing it. So I got to about three thirty, and Josh Miller goes, all right, boys, you got to drop me back now. Mez goes to start the boat. Doesn't start. Red Rover. We're, yes, we're stuck in the water to about eight that night. The 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 guard had to come get us because the boat wouldn't start. We started drifting out, drifting in, drifting out. Josh Miller was sitting there, I think, quietly trying to think about how he could kill both of us as he was missing out on his missus' dinner for thing. And uh, we finally got in about 9.30 that night. It was like two degrees. So um, that, that's just one thing that I can toss up for you. Mate, there's not a hope in hell there's a missus alive that's buying the boats out of battery. Oh, mate, I knew. I don't know why to this day I didn't say, mate, that doesn't work. So I just let it go because, you know, apparently he, he's from Matraville and he's grew up boats his whole life. That's the sort of shit I've got to put up with, so... Yeah, it is what it is. Mate, I'm living about 10 minutes away from Matraville. I'm yet to see any water there. <laughs> yeah, it comes out of the tap. <laughs> I can pretend to unbelievable. <laughs> Mate, the, the 2010 season, obviously, on the back of 2009, as we've spoken about the choker tag, was there a moment in 2010 that you thought, fuck, you know, this squad, they've gone to another level? Yeah, I, I remember there was a meeting and 
um, it was probably two or three weeks before. I don't know how I remember this, but I, yeah, I used to love going in these team meetings. Anyway, they um, all the leadership group at the time, I'm pretty sure they they called a booze ban to, just to sacrifice. You know, so they were heading in to the game, into games, into training sessions, and it was solely about footy. And um, they they called that, and everyone bought into it. And you know, just you know, people think, oh, giving up alcohol, that's that's nothing. But when when it when you're trying to reach something that everyone doesn't think you can do, or puts a choker tag on you and you fully focus on to achieve a goal to watch those blokes and you know the way that the club and all the players um got to do that and achieve them you know being a being you know just being a bloke there that was be able to watch it and be a part of it obviously not playing i think i only played about two games or three games that year but to see the way those blokes and you know the team pulled together and ended up doing what they did was it was unreal mate does wayne say much in those meetings or is it sort of player led a couple of times he falls asleep to be honest, but he, um, he, he, um, every, Wayne's one of those people when he speaks, everyone listens, and that's the sort of aura he has made. It's, um, it was pretty cool, you know, myself being young at that time to be able to, you know, just be around trying to listen to him and, um, you know, see the way that he, he brings the groups together is unreal. Mate, is there is there any time in your career that you're at the Dragons and Wayne Bennett, you know, I hear a lot of guys talk about him like a father figure. Did he ever play that role for you? Yeah, I wouldn't say a father figure, but there was, or for me anyway, there was times when I, you know, I, I stuffed up away from the field, um, and he, you know, there was times that probably the club wanted to flick me, you know, because I was just doing doing my own thing in, in certain certain places, and for whatever reason, Wayne kept me around, and you know, always sort of, um, you know, always asked if I was all right, and you know, he he, I look back now, and I'm I'm pretty pretty lucky that he did because I wouldn't know where I would have ended up if you know. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. To get flicks. So he, he looked after me in that sense. But I, I know, you know, you, you see the way that Dino and all those all those older boys that were there at the time were hugging him after the grand final, mate. He, um, he, he, that, that's something that they'll never forget, I, I can guarantee. Do you remember Wayne Bennett's demeanor changing at all between the 2009 and the 2010 season? Um, I, to, to be honest, I can't remember, but I, I think something must have. But obviously, th- this is the thing. He, he was really tight with a lot of the older blokes in the leisure groups, you know what I mean? So that, that was something I wasn't really a part of at that stage. I was just a young bloke. So I'd imagine when he had those, you know, five, six blokes and they were sitting there talking, it would have been unreal to listen to and listen to Wayne talk to them. But I didn't really get to listen to that stuff. But I'd imagine something would have changed because, you know, obviously they won the comp in 2010. Mate, as that season unfolds, you get to finals footy. I believe they beat the West Tigers out at ANZ Stadium to get into the grand final. Yeah, it was only by a couple of points too, if I remember. It was it was pretty tight, and um, you know I think a lot of relief come within the group, and um, I think they knew sort of they they had a chance to go in and roll the Roosters the week after. And obviously, when the Roosters got in there, who had a very good team as well, and they were flying from memory. They were flying as well, so it was always going to be a good grand final, and. Um, uh, it was it was uh, good for them to um, enjoy that week because it's obviously a big week and um, they got the job done, which is great. Mate, obviously you played a few games during 2010. You made your debut that season. How far away were you from that grand final team? Were you like a few bodies down the line or what? 
miles away. Yeah. Wasn't even in a conversation. I don't think, mate. I was um, there. Was I, I was wasn't doing the things. You know, I, I wasn't doing the things right to be able to even be in probably the team to you know every week. You know, I was still learning how to be um, a pro. You know, I didn't. I just thought footy was about going and playing on the weekends and enjoying a beer after the game. You know, I, I was I was still yet to try. You know, to be the best pro I could be, and you know, I, I learned probably took me a little bit longer and you know i'll probably try to push the envelope on certain things and try and find my own way but there's nothing nothing beats hard work and that's something i wasn't the best at at that stage so i was nowhere near that team yeah mate you said obviously that you uh you tried to push the envelope here and here and there did that rub off the wrong way against some of the older blokes you know what probably at the time it did but you know when, when i was allowed to go go back in 2015 there was still a lot of those blokes there and I, you know when I got told and they told me as well that you know they, they were happy to have me back and went into bat for me so you know I, I think they just understood you know I come I came from a broken family and I've probably seen and heard things growing up that you know a young bloke shouldn't and you know I didn't have you know it's not an excuse at all but you know I didn't I just probably didn't understand fully what it was like to be a pro, pro footy player at the time you know and it, it did it did um I sort of questioned what I had to do and I had to find a lot of things out the hard way, but that's life. And, you know, I wouldn't change my experiences with footy or in life or anything because it's made me the person I am today. So, you know, it took me a little while to figure out how to be a pro. Mate, tell me about grand final week. Obviously, you know, you've got all the experience in the world in this squad coming up against, you know, what was a pretty young rooster side. From memory, their halves were TC and Piercy, both very young. I think Jake Friend was the hooker. He would have been still quite young yeah. at that stage. I mean, it's a game that the Dragons are expected to win, but, you know, there'd been a number of games over the last two years the Dragons are expected to win. They didn't get the job done. Was the group pretty confident? I think they were. I, from, from I watched something the other day as well about leading to the grand final. It was a story about Wayne. Um, the thing the Dragons were down ten eight at half time, and like they were playing a little bit conservative because uh, it was a bit. I think it rained that day to be to, to remember. And that uh, the, the Wayne got the boys in when it was half time. Wayne, I remember the bloke who was telling the story. Wayne come in. All he said was, "When are the, when he's going to start playing like the Dragons." And then, funnily enough, that must have resonated with a lot of them because they went out and put thirty points on in the second half. You know, and that he's literally said what six or seven words there. You know what I mean? That's that's just sort of the thing he is, and sort sort of the coach he is, I suppose. And it was, um, mate, the scenes after the grand final and the you know the Mad Monday that half. It was it was pretty cool. Mate, it takes a special human to be able to, you know, walk into the sheds in a close grand final like that and just and just back yourself to say, as you said, six or seven words. He's just incredible, isn't he? Yeah, it is. And I think a lot of it comes back to the players too at that time. You know, that they wanted that so badly for, for the club and themselves and for all the people that supported them, uh, support the club, you know. And that, that's the thing, mate. Like, you look back at that, that video, uh, sorry, that, that game, the, the whole stadium's pretty much red and white. Like, the fans at the Dragons are un- unbelievable, you know. They, they've always, you know, their voice is always heard, whether it's in a negative light or a positive light. And that's the best thing about footy in, in some cases, you know, the fans. So they probably, you know, at some stage, probably thought, you know what, we we need to we need to turn it up a little bit here for them as well. Now, mate, that grand final night, obviously, it belonged to Darius Boyd, one of you know one of the most sensational performances we've seen from a fullback in a grand final, and one of the greatest seasons we've seen from a fullback. Darius Boyd had that year; he was incredible. I know we were speaking earlier. You know, he was just the king of threes on twos, wasn't he? He just, you know, they, they talk about Slater revolutionising the fullback position. Darius really was one of the pioneers of turning the fullback into a second five eight, wasn't he? 
Yeah, mate, he was a genius that year. He, as I said before, yeah, I think he won every award by the Daily M, which I'm not sure who won it, but they must have had a fair season because he... But I think Brett Morris scored like 22 tries. He, he was paying less to score first try scorer than some of the head-to-head game beam was. He, um, he was scoring a whole heap of tries, so... Yeah, and as you said, Darius with the um, with the three on twos. I'm pretty sure he never made a wrong decision. You know, when, when he when he had that opportunity, and he done that for however long he did. You know, just over a decade. So he he was a great player that year, and he had, he had obviously went on and to bigger better things as well through the rest of his career. Mate, obviously with Darius, another one that's been very polarizing, and for me, it shits me to tears how it's just become popular to bag Darius Boyd nowadays. I mean. <laughs> You know, he retired the other day and, you know, on my social media account, I'm sure you would have seen it. It's just the amount of blokes sitting at home on couches that want to bag this bloke when he's achieved more than what most players dream of achieving. It shits me to tears. Yeah. The thing I've noticed as well, up in Queensland, the Courier Mail, you know, we don't really see any stuff that's going on in New South Wales. So I'm pretty sure there's one bloke down there that they're probably smashing as well at the moment. But to, to read, you know, I don't really read the paper, but to look and, you know, the last six, seven weeks, it was just Darius this, not having a go. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, well, that's it's actually really sad that that's what they got to do to sell papers. You know what I mean? Instead of, you know, talking him up and giving him a bit of, you know, you know what he's done in his career for the game, the battles he had to go through as an individual, as a person, not just a footy player. You know, there's a lot of other things they could have could have wrote about and, um, you know, give, give, shed a bit of light to. And I understand the last week they were saying, oh, he didn't want to do media and all that sort of stuff, but that's his right. He doesn't have to do that sort of stuff, you know. Why would he want to talk to someone where they're going to twist his narrative and, you know, put something in there that you know is, isn't him? So, you know, it, it was sad to see. Because, but I bet you now he's probably um, he's probably happy that he's a bit out of the limelight. He can just enjoy the time with his family. Mate, you obviously lived with Darius for a while yourself, Darius and Alex McKinnon. Tell me about that household. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool, you know. Um, Darius was, um, I think, you know, just reaching his peak at the Dragons and in rugby league and. You know, it was cool to be able to, you know, live with him. Obviously, didn't buy in, you know, into too much what, what he did because he was, um, you know, I was sort of just doing my own thing and he was, you know, light years ahead. You know, he was always, the, you know, the best trainer, what he ate. Um, and I probably should have bought into that a little bit more looking back at it. But he had, you know, young Alex McKinnon was there, mate. And he, uh, what a champion bloke he is. It was cool to, you know, see Alex and be a part of Alex's life when he was, you know, young and starting to, find his feet and you know him and Darius become really close mates and still are really close mates so that was the sort of bond that they forged living together and um, you know uh, Maka is doing great things now and I wish him all the best and um, it's um, it's good to see Darius you know obviously retiring now and he can just enjoy um, some downtime with his family and go into what he wants to do after footy Mate it's sort of forgotten Alex McKinnon fuck he was one hell of a tough hombre wasn't he? Well, yeah, you think about it, 21 years old, 106 or 7 kilos, 6 foot 3, and, you know, just starting to scrape the surface of what he could do. I'm pretty sure he played country origin, you know, as well, and he was starting to bash blokes coming off the bench for the Knights, you know, so it's not, it's not. Oh, I don't really like talking about it because it's, you know, it's a bit of a shoulda, coulda, woulda story, but he, he could have he could have been anything, but you know now he's he's on his own little path and he's got his little family and it's um you know it's great to see him and you know I've listened to some of his um podcasts and that and um he he seems to be in a pretty good place but he he um he's a really good bloke. Mate, take me back to that grand final day. Obviously, the Dragons come out in the second half and it all starts to fall their way. Uh, at what point in that game did you know the Dragons had won? From memory, I'm pretty sure Knighty scored his second try. And I think they put him about 14 ahead. And then uh, 
Dino scored a try, then Feeney done a little cheeky dive over, faking to do a uh, pass at the back to go to a field goal. And, you know, there was probably the last 12 minutes they knew they'd won. So you could hear the start, the the chance of the crowd going in, people were hugging and all that sort of stuff. And everybody on the sideline sort of knew what was going on. And, you know, once the 80 minutes went up, the bloke blew the whistle. It was, it was pretty pretty cool to, you know, be able to out, be out in the field and, you know, see the Roosters players and see the way the Dragons players were, you know, one obviously one side's real sad and the other side's extremely happy and just sort of take it in and shake blokes' hands and, um, you know, once they did that lap on, I just sort of duck into the shed and let them have their moment. It was cool to be in the shed at that stage and have a beer with, with the boys and, you know, watching them with their rings and all that sort of stuff and obviously it was cool that um, Mez, you know, got to uh, win a grand final, which was unreal for him and, you know, it's cool to see the ring that he's still got and, um, that would have been a pretty cool time for him and, you know, for the club as well. Did you uh, manage to get your hands on the trophy? Yeah, I, I, I had a touch of it. You know, it's not, it wasn't my place, mate. It wasn't my place. I didn't really do much, but it was um, – I got a touch of it and had a look at it and it's, um, it's, it's bloody heavy. It's, it, it, it weighed a fair bit, so uh, – it weighed a fair bit, sorry. So, um, yeah, it was, um, it was cool that they all got to celebrate with it. I imagine you didn't miss over the next two or three days. Had quite a good time. I only want to think that I played. I had a, I had a, crack, I had a crack at Mad Monday and a couple of days after that. So it was, it was pretty cool, mate. We all got um, met at, uh, so obviously we went back to Cogra that night. The boys had the thing out on the field. Uh, when, when all the fans and everyone left, it was sort of just the staff and the players there. A couple of nudie runs got done out on Cogra, which was hilarious. I got uh, bashed because I had to do a nudie run. I got pushed into a whole heap of chairs and all that sort of stuff, trying to run away from the boys. And, you know, we sort of shut it down everyone sort of shut down about three or four because we had to get on a bus and go back down to Wollongong do the celebrations there then we sort of done from memory I think we done a, went to a couple of pubs that day and then had a couple of beers on the Tuesday so that was about it Mate I imagine the community down there over those three or four days they must have been sensational Yeah well when we were coming into the heart of Wollongong before we went to the entertainment centre the, the street was you know either side and um, in the entertainment centre was packed, so it was um yeah they, they, they were loving it down there just as much as Cogra. Cogra was chockers. It was like fifteen thousand people there. They had to get up on the stage of boys because there was that many people there. So that was that was pretty cool to witness all those people enjoying the moment as well. Mate, we mentioned Darius with the Clive Churchill. Who was the uh, best on ground for Mad Monday? Um, best on ground for Mad Monday. Um, it was I think Gaz was enjoying himself. Mark Gaznia. He he had a he had a, he had a pretty good time, but you know he he just come back from France from memory as well. So to come back and you know add to the grand final team was well, I think he was over the moon. You know he was part of that team in 05, so he come back at the right time and added a whole heap to him. He scored that first try too, which was um which was outstanding. I think he just got the ball in you know a couple you know thirty centimeters before the dead ball went off the Jamie Seale kick. So yeah, it was cool to watch um guys have a couple of beers. Mate, did uh did Gaz re-entering the squad during that season? Did that give you guys a big lift? I think it did for, for yeah. I, well, mate, for, I, I was sort of just as I said before, I was just sort of part of the squad. But I'd imagine it would, mate. I, I remember being at training. Some of the shit he does just naturally is a joke. He's he's 104 kilos, six foot three center. Like that's a, it's a big body to have, you know. And he beats, but he, it takes two people to get him down, two three people to get him down, and he beats people one on one. So the individual brilliance that he would have bring to the team, it's just you know give him early ball and play off the back of it. So I'd imagine it would have been a big boost to having him in the in the change rooms before a game. Because, mate, the one thing I remember about when he did come back, like, fuck, he looked so skinny. He looked a lot smaller than when he was there, but he was just as yeah. damaging, wasn't he? Yeah, he was real real thin. I, I remember, actually, funny, so I remember the, the papers had a photo of him before he left, and when he come back, 
and it was like chalk and cheese. And then once he put his weight back, I'm pretty sure he put seven or eight kilos back on, and he was just looking like a Spartan. So they put that. Jeremy Hickman's was there at the time, who was the the, the head strength and conditioner. He he put the weight back up, back on him slowly over the first couple of weeks, and before you know, it was back to being um, Mark Asney again. Mate, another one of the grand final heroes you were very close with and another one that's been a polarising character. Obviously, he had his moment in origin where, um, you know, a lot of people bagged him for that stink with Hodges. Benny Cray, tell me about him. Uh, Benny Cray, he, he's, he's, um, he was probably, him and Dino, when I was come, like growing up, they were more idols about Benny Cray. He, he um, I probably would never been able to play 50 games for the Dragons if it wasn't for him. Um, the leadership and sort of um, path he showed me when I come back in 2015 he took me straight under his wing and I was his weights partner his training partner so I'm forever indebted to Betty Cray for um, for looking after me and you know helping me become um, you know a mainstay in the team for, for those two seasons I owe Benny Cray a lot Mate it's sort of forgotten just how good he was there for a five or six year stretch like he was the best back rower in the game Well uh, he's him and from from oh, everyone's got their opinion with their teammates, but him and Tyson Brazell, the two toughest blokes I've ever seen. Uh, there was a game in 2016, uh, 2015 was one. I think it was the first game against um, Melbourne, and Jesse Bromwich got Benny with like open rib perler, like coming in third man. And not many people know he played well. I'm pretty sure he had two broken ribs and uh, something done in a disc in his back. He played for another 25 minutes. Like it, you know, it's it's hard to get out of bed with that. Really don't play a game of footy, you know what I mean? But he, he is just the, the the best bloke, the, the perfect leader. Would do anything for anyone, and you know, if you were to ask any bloke that ever played footy with him, they'd say the exact same thing about him. Mate, you mentioned obviously during that twenty ten season, you know, you you had a bit of carry on in you, and there was a few times where Wayne Bennett, you know, came in to back you up there. Obviously, your time at the Dragons comes to an end in twenty twelve. Uh, you know, your time at the Dragons ends for the first time. Tell me about how that all came about. Um, so what happened was too, so 2012 was pretty cool yeah I think I got about uh, I got about 10 or 11 games in a row under my belt um, which was cool man it was um, and then I, I sort of got dropped I, I, I sort of was just sort of getting used to be able to play but I wasn't you know I was sort of coming in and out of games and you know not not you know looking, myself, looking after myself the best I could away from the field so I ended up getting dropped and I sort of um, at the time I was in talks to sign for another couple of years. So I was thinking to myself, you know what, I'll, I'll, this was sort of late in the season. I was like, you know, I've got my next two years, I'll kick on next year. And that was, you know, looking back now, I'll uppercut myself because that's a really poor attitude to have. Um, so I, I ended up um, getting a, um, so previously to that, I, you know, I'd always have one or two, I'll, you know, something wrong away from the field each year since I was about 18, you know, and I got my last warning uh, that year. Um, so I gave the drink up for about nine weeks because I've shit myself for him, you know. I was like, oh, I don't, I, I don't want to, I don't want to lose this. So I ended up getting back in the first grade, the second last, second last game of the season against the Warriors and win down at win. And I was like, oh, well, I'll get for a beer tonight, you know. I've, I've earned my spot back, and I ended up sleeping through my alarm that night and missing recovery the next day. I woke up to my phone at about eleven thirty in the morning. I had countless messages, countless missed calls, voicemails, and I was like oh, I'm in a whole world of trouble here so I went up going to training on the Monday uh, I got sent home for the week wasn't allowed to train in there why they decided what was going to happen um, I was really annoyed because it was Benny Hornby and Dean Young's last um, last game of their careers which is something I would have been a part of as I got back in the team and we won that week and they usually don't change winning teams so you know I still kicked myself a little bit about that to be able to be a part of that game would have been pretty cool and um, 
was unfortunate the day after Mad Monday. I got told that um my con- my two year deal would not be not be signed by me, and they took it away, and um I was no longer a part of the Dragons, which at the time really rattled me, and my whole world come crashing down. I probably had a you know a real hard five or six weeks after that. You know I thought my manager would get me a gig somewhere, but didn't didn't eventuate, ended up making me way up to uh to Redcliffe for the seasons twenty thirteen and fourteen. Before we get to Redcliffe, mate, obviously uh, you mentioned there that you were cut from the Dragons squad. And who, who breaks that news to you? Is that a call from the manager? Is that are you called into a room at, at Dragons HQ? What's the go there? Uh, so what had happened was uh, Mad Monday, we were, we were having a beer and I was like real standoff with a lot of people because I didn't know what was going on yet. And I just, Pricey was the coach at the time. So I went over to Pricey and said, mate, am I getting sacked? Can you tell me? Because I've got, like, I'm struggling with things. Or I don't know what's going on. He's like, mate, we'll talk tomorrow. It's all right. Just just enjoy enjoy today. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, well, fuck, that's – I'll be right here. You know, like he would have told me. I thought in my mind he would have told me, which is – I was like, right, yeah, sweet. You know, there was some talks going on that day, what was sort of going to happen with the team the next year and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, oh, sweet. You know, this will be all right. Like after today, I'm going to rip into training and get ready for preseason. Um, anyway, Tuesday comes around, I wake up. I'm having a water and trying to hydrate. I feel like shit after Mad Monday and – Pricey goes, hey, mate, let's go for a coffee. I just want to have a chat here. And I was like, yeah, no worries, mate. So I ended up meeting Pricey for a coffee and was sitting there. And he's like, mate, we, I couldn't save you. And I was like, what? He goes, I, I couldn't save you, mate. The, the club's had enough and yeah, your contract's been pulled. And I was like, oh, far out. So he being serious. He goes, yeah. He goes, mate, all the boys went in the bat for you. But, um, yeah, the, the board and, and DSD just, you know, you've made too many too many mistakes on the field that don't trust you. And I just, like, my heart sunk. It was a very lonely walk back to my house that day. It took me, you know, I was 500 metres away. It took me dead, an hour. I just went to look at the ocean. And, you know, my whole world come crashing down because I was, you know, all I wanted to be was a footy player and I, I'd blown it. I, I made all the wrong decisions and I don't blame anyone but myself. So that was um that was pretty hard. But, you know, I, I um a lot of good things end up coming from that as well. How did the uh, Redcliffe gig come about? Uh, so what happened after, you know, five or six weeks of off-season, you know, I went quite up with a lot of people, had, had some, you know, had some pity drink-ups with a couple of the boys. We ended up having a couple more beers that day, actually, on the Tuesday because I had to, you know, I rang the boys around and said I got sacked and they ended up throwing a, we ended up all going to a pub together and sort of explained what happened and, you know, had, had a, you know it was hard telling Mez and we had a, I, I know I cried. I was, I was pretty emotional by the end of the day, but... You know, I sort of five or six weeks went by, and me manager ended up getting me a gig at, at the time, got me a gig at Redcliffe. Uh, went up there, and it was it was actually really life changing for me because I had the poorest attitude towards footy. I had the poorest attitude, you know, away from it. I, I thought just loving footy was a good attitude. I didn't understand, you know, all the all the eating side of it. I probably didn't want to understand, it, to be honest with you, if I'm being honest. Um, so going up there, I worked in a dog food factory for two years, which, mate, you know, I was on below minimum wage, like I was earning seventeen dollars an hour, you know, with dead. Dead, you know, li- dead carcasses, liver, and I've got a weak stomach, so I-, I worked there for two years, mate, and changed my life because I had to get up. I was living at the sunny coast at the time. I actually, sorry, the first year I was up there, I lived with Josh McGuire when he was at the Bronx, and he was a mate of mine from school, so he threw me a bone, and I was living with him, which was just around the corner from me work. So um, I lived there, mate, and uh, played footy with Reddy, and then I ended up moving back to the sunny coast with me dad. So I was doing the hour drive to Brisbane to train and. Um, and work at a dog food factory uh, food through 2014. But I kept in touch with people at the Dragons and I, um, I knew uh, I heard Pricey was getting sacked and I was like, oh, that's no good. You know, that, that he might have got me back there sort of thing because I'd been talking to him and 
you know, I was uh, rang up uh, Wendell Saylor at the time too to get some advice off him with how to approach maybe asking coming back. With, you know, obviously when the Dragons gave Wendell uh, another chance and um, he, he gave me some good advice and he, he actually put me on to Dowsty, who was the CEO at the time. So, you know, Dowsty didn't have to write back to me in an email. He didn't have to do anything, but he did. And I'm very grateful for him doing that that day. And then once I sort of found out Mary was... Um, was coach I, I got Mary's number and you know a little bit to do with Mary and um, uh, coming through uh, when I was playing reserve grade he was the he was the cutters coach at the time so I got in touch with him and um, I ended up seeing Mary when they played Brisbane when the Dragons played Brisbane and um, I went in him and just pretty much poured my heart out and said mate I won't step a foot wrong I'll do whatever you want me to do I just I just want another chance mate I know, I know I can do it and he sat there and he sort of looked me up and down and he, he said, you know, oh, I just said, mate, like, please, like, I'll do, I'm ready to go. Like, I want to come back home. And it, to his credit, mate, two weeks later, he, he said he'd have a piece of paper for me and he did and had a trainer trial deal. And, um, you yeah, know, after that, I got down there. I was, I think it was, I got a, uh, the first week, uh, first five weeks of preseason to Christmas and then they'd reevaluate it. Um, he told me two weeks, two weeks before the break, I was sweet. Which gave me a real good boost going into the into the breaks. Um, I was I was sweet to go to the first trial, and then sort of halfway through the preseason, he he said, "Mate, we're going to keep you. You're going really well." And it was that was unreal. Um, you know, to, to come back down and be on a trial. I had I, all my chips were in. I had no job to go to if I got injured. I had no no backup to go to if um if I you know as I said I got injured. I wasn't trained well enough. So all my chips were on the table, and you know I'm very fortunate that I got a bone thrown, and I was there the whole 2015 and up. You know, playing 20 games that year, which um, which is um, pretty cool. That's the end of our part one interview with Jake Maketo. Part two drops next Monday. Part two is an absolute cracker. We talk about his return to the St. George Illawarra Dragons and the next few years after that. There's a lot of highs and there is plenty of lows. Uh, in and around those lows is the 2017 season. At the end of 2016, he's told by Paul McGregor that they won't be playing him next year. He was still on contract, but he said, we will not be using you. Jake sort of took it as um, as a bit of a challenge. He sort of saw, you know what, I'm going to train the house down in preseason. He's trying to challenge me here. I'm going to get up for it. And, of course, 2017 rolls around, and Paul McGregor and the Dragons, they refuse to use him. In fact, he almost gets to the fittest he's been his entire career, and he finds himself on the bench in reserve grade. So he was a real outsider at the club. He was looking for a way out. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, Brad Fittler picks him in the City Origins side. So he goes from playing reserve grade on the bench to being a rep footballer. An incredible story, you know, a really well-deserved uh, little bonus there for Jake when he was working hard and sort of being treated unfairly at the Dragons. He eventually had to leave, and of all places for him to land, he goes to Romania to play rugby union. An incredible story there. He then returns, and he's, he's been up there in Townsville ever since, playing for the Blackhawks. And he talks about his career, not post-footy, he's still playing, but what his plans are and his experiences in the Queensland Cup. It's a really strange situation up there. He's he's not overly happy about it, and he really talks about the honest truth about, you know, when you're done with first grade and you're not wanted by clubs, what happens to you, the reality of you, and it's pretty harsh. As I said, these are the stories you don't hear about, and I love to tell the story of Jake Marchetto. It's been a fantastic one, and I look forward to sharing part two with you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs> 